good golly, Miss Molly, uh, that, that ball must love mustaches because it was waxed. Oh, my gosh, that's good. Mustache waxed. What do you think? Yeah. B minus. I love it. I No, that's, that's, a, that's a strong B plus, at least. <laughs> at least. Episode 64, <laughs> Coach Ballgame, Coach Chop, uh, and you're in for a doozy today, listener, because uh, you want to talk about the doppelganger, the uh, the soulmate of one Chad Chop. We've got him on today. The first time I ever met Chad Chop, uh, I told him, I said, you remind me of my coaching mentor, of the guy that that really taught me how to coach. The first guy I ever saw wear a fedora hat on a baseball field. The first guy I ever heard tell the Roberto Clemente story and engage 100 kids. Uh, he's on the pod today. Uh, if you checked out my socials, I just uh, I, I, I read a, a little a little snippet of my book, and it was about this guy, Sean Flicky. They call him Flick Money. Uh, went to Stanford, played baseball there, uh, played in the College World Series. Uh, so we'll talk about his playing days there. But I, I just want to ask him, hey man, what what where'd you get that magic? Where'd you get that that magic touch uh, of of teaching love of play to kids and really teaching me how to connect uh, with kids as well. So fired up for it, uh, to be honest, you know, uh, he's a great friend, but we've never had deep dives into uh, who taught him to love the game and who taught him to coach the way he does. Uh, so it's going to be just a party. Uh, the, the two of you uh, just, you're the same person. So positive, uh, so energetic. It, it's it's going to be a good day. Yeah, buddy. How you doing? I'm great. I remember that day when you said I reminded you of, uh, of your mentor yeah, and yeah. Uh, you said, uh, I mean, we're spitting image of each other. And I said, man, he sounds really handsome. Yeah. Yeah. You there's know, some, there's going to be, it's, it's first team all handsome <laughs> for sure. Tall left-handed swingers. Stanford. Yeah. Uh, sure. it, it just oh. very similar guys. Speaking of a tall left-handed swing. So we needed an extra body for a scrimmage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'll lengthen the story a little bit. We decided that we would do a draft. So I had two, my two head assistant coaches would coach a team and then we would have a draft. Well, we have a small roster, so we needed to fill it out. So I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk with my agent, but I think I'm going to make the rammer available for this, this event. So, uh, early draft projections had me go in top three. I slipped to top four. It was a snake draft. I dropped to four. Um, but that was a big mistake to let me slip. I went three for four with a walk, seven ribbies, three doubles. So this is a real like high school game. And, uh, yes, it was great. Yeah. Our, our I know ace, the listener, the me... listener was probably wondering how did your, uh, scrimmage go and, and how did you do? So three for four with a walk, three dubs, no dingers. Fine. I wasn't, but I wasn't trying to hit dingers. So that, and I tried right. to tell the kids that I said, you've seen me take BP, you know, I can hit it out of the yard, but what did I do? And the guys are like, you hit it where no one was. I'm like, yeah, you guys were playing me right center with the bases loaded. I took a double to the left center. You guys shifted me in the infield. You gave me the six. hole. I had a rocket in the six hole. Like take what you the were showing. You. you were quietly showing them by example, what you want them to do tonight in your first right. playoff game of the year. This is first round high school playoffs. All I want to know yeah. is, are you nervous? Chad job. You know, my, my, my wife asked me that and I said, well, nerves and, and excited are the same thing. We just label them differently. And if you're not excited, uh, then you should be doing something else. But I, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I, we're, we're prepared. We've 
we've played a brand of baseball now for over a month. That's just been uh, spectacular. It's been clean. It's, it's been spectacular and it's, uh, it's been the mundane, right? We're not doing anything wild. We're just playing catch on defense and throwing strikes and putting the ball in play and running the bases smart. And it's that, that mundane kind of nature that is special, right? Chuck Knoll says champions aren't champions because they can do the extraordinary, but because they can do the ordinary better than everyone else. And we've been really, really ordinary at such a high level that I just can't wait. Uh, I can't wait. I'm excited for the babies. They're ready. They're, they work their tails off. They're so tight knit. That's a common theme. It keeps coming up. I love the Chuck Knoll quote, Joe Madden. We've said it 50 times, do simple better. He made shirts uh, on it. We talked about processing failure better than everybody else. It really seems like if you can do that simple thing, uh, if you can make that uh, that play, that um, that you know, that that six three just ground ball that, oh, wow. that you can make those ho hum plays better than everybody else more consistently, you're going to win uh, in the high leverage moments. Um, what kind of preparation have you done to get, uh, get your boys ready for, you know, this is do or die, right? Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a challenging, challenging week last week. So we, we created those fun things that we talked about, uh, just to try to, you know, it's hard to, to generate, um, adrenaline, right? So if you have 12 days off in between games, it's tricky. So I told the boys on Saturday, I'd give us like an A minus a really solid score for the week last week. And then uh, on our practice on Saturday, we started kind of notching it up a little bit. And then yesterday was really good. Got them off their feet early, but um, did a couple things that I feel like are going to help us prepare, you know, fundamentals that coaches do the first and third offense and defense and all those things, rundowns, the stuff that win and lose games in the playoffs, right? It's that battle of 90 feet. So we, we shored up those things. The boys are ready. Uh, Noah Miller's on the bump today. He has got, uh, you know, he's, he's got some confidence and it's founded on like, he's a stud, man. He's like Iceman, you know, from, uh, from Top Gun. Uh, oh. Yeah. He's, he's a confident young man. He Love that. Love, love to have that in your stud. ace. Um, and I'm yeah. sure the listener will be excited to hear how that goes next week. Uh, I mean, if all goes well tonight, you got a Friday uh, second round game. Saturday, Saturday, oh, second Tuesday, round, Saturday. which will be against. Yeah, which will either be against Yuma Catholic again. That's that team that we played a week ago. Uh, great game. One of the better games uh, I've ever been a part of at the high school level. It's either going to be them or another team that's in our region. Uh, Tank of Verde, who's had a really good season, and we beat them 2-0. to zero. Noah Miller threw a complete game shutout, struck out 10-10 against them. Let's go. Uh, I think they had I think they had one hit. Yeah, he's, I like that. He's almost – he's flirted with a no-hitter a couple of times. He's just got like – really high spin rate fastball with a curveball that falls off a table and an, an elite changeup. Uh, I tell you that to tell you this, I, I drew a walk off him. He tried to throw yeah. the one, two changeup. And, uh, and I, I was auto taking cause I knew he was going to go with a changeup and he threw a perfect changeup. And my catcher, it, after I didn't swing, he, he goes, coach, how'd you lay off of that? I go, I'm, I, there's levels to this stuff. Colin. Did I'm you actually spit on it? Did you actually spit on it as it crossed your your path? Mentally, yes. <laughs> but the thing was, it was, I mean, coach, it was a perfect pitch. Had I not been auto-taking, I would have swung and missed at it. But I was like, he's throwing the changeup right here. I'm yeah. not swinging. So I just had a really good balanced, active take. And they're like, how'd you do that? And then it was non-competitive curveball, 2-2, overthrow fastball, 3-2, take your base. You know, <laughs> take your base. <laughs> <laughs> wow well uh last question for you will there be a pregame speech as we enter the playoffs here 
No. And I think you asked me this last year going into it. No, because there's, there's nothing that needs to be said other than just play free. Love that. Like boys play free, free to fail, free to succeed. Like we're going to make mistakes today. I can't wait to see how we respond. Play free. Let's go. We're ready. We can't wait. Let's go go out there and love each other. Let's get it. It's it's Uh, simple. This does fire me up a a little bit and it, and it taps into just that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's the next phase of coach ball game, but I do miss the, I do miss the playoffs. I, I, you know, and I could see myself enjoying, okay, first round of the playoffs, I'm coaching a team, uh, you know, I'm so used to just dropping bases down and, uh, and sandlotting it. But I think there's a play maybe down the road where, uh, you know, coach ball game sandlots, there's a, there's a division of elite uh, travel ball sandlot where there are umpires and we do have a tournament and, you know, maybe the, uh, we get the Savannah bananas involved uh, as well. But I, I think that's, that that would tap into my competitive nature right now. Golf is the only outlet for that uh, as far as competition goes, but uh, love it. Uh, love it a lot. My, my weekend was, it, it filled up my soul, man. I got filled up mm. in my belly and my okay. mind and my, and my soul. I went to a place called Michigan, a little town called Alpena, Michigan, uh, which is uh, it's on the mitt. They call it, you know, you got the mitt. Uh, right up against Lake Huron, northeast part of Michigan there. About 10,000 people live there. One horse town. Um, but uh, I had a guy named Scott Bays, and his nickname was The Machine. Guess what his dad's nickname was? The Machine. Because uh, back in the 80s and 90s, he would throw BP like a machine to local little leaguers and high schoolers uh, in the 80s and 90s there. So uh, he's the heart and soul of the town. He called me six months ago. We've been setting this thing up, planning it, uh, and you know these things are seventy five dollars a pop. That way, I can make it make sense to to Get leave California, yeah. fly, hotel, rental car, all the stuff. He wanted to make it twenty five ahead, so he goes to the okay. uh, to the uh, to the bar owner that he knows down the street. Sponsor. He goes to the Dairy Queen uh, that he part owns. Sponsor. He found sponsors all around the town. Uh, to make it a very affordable for this community. What did he want? He wanted this message of Sandlot, that this this vibe of of joy, and and the parallel of of having fun uh, and correlating to playing better baseball. He wanted that shined, and he just wanted uh, you know as many kids to come as possible. And then he was hoping the parents would show up drop their kid off, stay five minutes, and then end up staying the whole three hours, which most of them did. Uh, that was the goal, and it happened. So what a thing for the community. Uh, and uh, there was a local high school team that got rained out that day, so they were able to come help coach. And I've seen nice. a lot of high school kids coach camps. And these kids, man, their character was intact. Uh, it was a beautiful thing to watch. They were smiling. Uh, they were in that they weren't mailing it in with their phones in hand. Uh, they were rocking and rolling and they were trying to engage these kids because, uh, you know, they, they know all these kids, everybody knows everybody in a small town. And when I went uh, to a couple meals with my boots on the ground, uh, the machine, he knew everybody by first name. He knew, he knew the lawyer. He, he knew the, the waiter, he knew the dentist, everybody knows everybody. And, and so that's why I, I gravitate towards these small towns is uh, that heart and soul is trusted by many. And we got 105 kids there, 105 kids. Wow. The, 
and the reaction was really strong. So that'll be a, a return visit in uh, 24 for sure. But I, I did what I always do. You know, I, I gave the nicknames and I, I, I asked questions to each kid that arrived, um, but had a ton of support. We had to do it indoors. And so there's about yeah. 20 guys the day before went over to the indoor facility and put turf on it. I mean, come on. Let's go. Right? Let's go. Out of the, out, out, yeah. Just, just for the kids, just for the kids. Um, uh, and then Norm, uh, who owns the uh, Aplex there in Alpena, he he said, okay, uh, we're going to shut it down from one to four so this sandlot can be uh, can be played uh, in our facility. And it was just magical. So not an easy place to get to if you're wanting to uh, do a little visit to Alpena. Uh, but you, you take you a flight, um, take you a flight to uh, to Detroit, and then you hop on a little plane, take a few little stops. Uh, and you're good to go there. So, um, I, 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 that screen froze, uh, for about 30 seconds. Could you hear 30 me? Second freeze. No, I know. Yeah. But, but maybe have... the audio would record on your side, but it froze. Did I, I freeze? I guess I was just listening. No, I, but I, I, I did see that it said internet unstable. So can you hear me now? Okay. Oh yeah. No, you're back. You're back. Good. But, um, I think it came back when you said, take you a flight to, uh, I'll yeah, but just yeah. I mean, just so you're aware, it, it doesn't. I think it it might play, but just so you're aware when you're editing it, I'm gonna. Read, I mean, I feel like it almost it almost played. I'll redo. Um, it it's three two one. Turf. Not an easy. Yeah, yeah three two one. Um, yeah, they turfed that entire uh facility out of the kindness of their heart for the kids. Um, not an easy place to get to, but they did it, and uh, just love it just so thankful, uh, for that community. So, uh, that, that was my weekend, uh, in Alpena, Michigan. Next stop will be Bainbridge Island, Washington, May 21, baby. Let's go. You, you fly into Seattle, drive over to a ferry, take the ferry over. Um, so, uh, I, I checked Michigan off my box. That was the first time to the state of Michigan. And now we're going to check off Washington, uh, another state, uh, in the book. So, um, keep following coach ball game, social media for all the updates, but I just posted, uh, the updated flyer of, uh, 52 more stops, uh, on the 2023 Sandlot tour. And we got to get chopper to one of those, man. Got to get you there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't no, have an Arizona I Sandlot. It. I don't have one yet. So. I mean, you have a facility. It's, it's, I mean, it's right here. It, literally it's at the high school. That, that's your facility. Oral Valley kissed up against, beautiful Mount Lemon. I mean, just the Catalina foothills right there. I mean, it's a no brainer. The sunset, you see that sunset off Mount Lemon, forget about it. Man, that's got Jim Nance voiceover all over it. Speaking of Jim Nance, uh, you know, my side hustle is Jim Nance voiceovers. And uh, I had a company reach out. Jim Nance approved. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, He approved. Dan Patrick approved. Dan Patrick approved at least. Uh, James Lowe, uh, career hit by pitch record holder at Brown University, and uh, and the 2018 Jim Nance Sound Like Contest winner. Um, that's how I introduced Two myself. Highlights. But uh, yeah, a company reached out, said, "Hey, we want you to do a Jim Nance voiceover for our for our voice message for our voicemail. You know, when people call mm-hmm. in, piece of cake, bang." And so it's my side hustle. Uh, another side hustle this Friday: uh, school assembly guest speaker which uh, 
I mean, I think that's right in both of our wheelhouses. I think you were the guest speaker at your alma mater. Um, so keynote, keynote. Yeah. Keynote. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> guest. Guest speaker. <laughs> keynote, baby. Well, uh, at, as we, um, as we wait for our, our guest today, the flick money, th there's a couple of Patreon mm. questions. Uh, and, and again, thank you to all our loyal supportive Patreons. Um, we love you. We, we appreciate your support and just keep listening. Keep sharing this this puppy's got legs, this podcast, man. People mm. are starting to hear about this thing. And, and it's all thanks to those those first couple listeners that got the word out. But this is from a Patreon uh, supporter in my boots on the ground in Dallas, Texas. How about the mental struggle as a dad uh, and a coach when your kid, uh, say eight, nine, ten years old, loves to go to practice, but isn't necessarily motivated enough to do extra practice at home right maybe you as the parent or coach you notice okay they love to go to practice they love the social aspect they're hanging out with their friends but um you know they, they need to work on this outside pitch a little more they need to work uh, off the tee or uh you know could be exercise whatever um not seeing them motivated enough to do the extra work at home what's your gut reaction there chad chow my first thought and i tell this to our our parents a lot um, is you can't care more than your, your kid or your athlete. Right. So I think sometimes, oftentimes, and we've had guests say this as well, mom and dad care way more than son, right. Or daughter. So you kind of have to listen to the cues of your son or daughter. Like what are their passions? What are they gravitating to when you don't force them to go to practice, even though they have fun once they get there, maybe it's not the baseball, maybe it's the social interaction. So um, for me, like, my middle son, Noah, <clears throat> didn't love baseball. <clears throat> so I didn't make him play baseball, right? He loves wrestling. He loves being funny. Um, so we we let him kind of drive his passions. <clears throat> My oldest loves baseball. So that's a no-brainer and he works on his own. My eight-year-old loves baseball and football and basketball. And he does all three of those. Um, and my youngest is an absolute hilarious rascal. And we don't know what he loves yet. But once he tells us with his actions and what he gravitates towards, that's what you really want to kind of water if it's a garden. So for the athlete that loves being at practice but doesn't want to do anything outside of it, they're really young, right? So who cares? <laughs> I, that, that'd be my answer for that age. Who cares? Um, let them do something they love to do. Now, if you really, really, really want them to do x y or z go do it with them like it don't just say hey, go outside and work on it hey let's go outside together let's spend some quality mom and dad or you know mom and son or dad and son time or, or daughter um i would say that would be one way to maybe drive it but and make sure it's fun if you're doing that <clears throat> make sure there's a competition involved or maybe there's a prize or something just to get them uh but but once again let your children drive they'll show you what they're passionate about as long as it's not just TV and their iPad, because that's mm -hmm. not the play, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And my kids do a lot of that, right? But that's my that's my thought. What's your thought, Coach? Yeah, the word uh, is, for me that came to mind was listen and, and kind of react to what you're you're seeing and hearing from your child. Um, they they love going to practice, so they obviously love being with their friends. Uh, and, and maybe they love the activities they do at the practice, but, uh, not self-motivated enough to go home, uh, and do that 
extra work. Well, ask them, hey, what are you interested in doing while you're home, right? Uh, and hopefully uh, that, that answer is something active. I, I, I want to try some swimming. You know, I want to, I want to try volleyball. I want, I want to go join a, a dance team. I, I want to try something a little bit different. I think that is just as important as extra work in that specialized space. Uh, you want them to become a well-rounded athlete. Uh, you know, and maybe that means let's go for a hike then. All right. You don't want to work off the tee. Um, let's go bowling. Let's try that game out. Let's go, let's go take a walk. Uh, but I, I think of my daughters and, you know, uh, I, I can, I can just pay attention to what they're chatting about and talking with their friends about, and I can, I can go to their dance practice, see how, how much work they're putting in. And then I, I come home and she's doing flips in the backyard and doing cartwheels and working on her. Like yeah, she, she's good. I, I do think when you, um, when you lay it on a little thick at an early age, eight, nine, 10, that's still an early age. Uh, it, you're getting into some um, territory where there might be a little burnout going on, or it might cause some tension between your relationship. So uh, I think you got to be for it. I would even argue to be on the other side of it. Uh, like uh, if they're showing um, signs of wanting to do the extra work, Hey, all right, you can do that extra work, but let's go play a game of chess first, you know, just um, uh, kind of dangle that carrot even more, uh, make them want, make them wanting it, want it more. Now this could come down to a, a case of, of um, effort and maybe you know, laziness, right? Now we, we get into that aspect of it where uh, they're just too lazy to, to go that extra mile. And maybe that's a discussion. When you sense, that the reason they're not getting the extra work uh, that they need so they can stop going over four with four strikeouts uh, is caused by laziness. Uh, where do you go? Where do you go with that coach? For me, laziness is non-negotiable. So it's like, Hey, you're either going to go do that thing or you're going to go for a run. I, same deal. My middle son, he had to go for runs around, especially during COVID. Cause he, he put on like, I think it was, 30 to 50 pounds, dude. It was, it was, he got aggressive wow, with eating spurt. and just being really uh, not moving around. There's a word for that, uh, but just, it starts with an S, but he's not, he wasn't moving around a whole lot or it starts with an L he's being lazy. Right. And so there are often times where it's like, Hey dude, go for a run, like go for a 20 minute run. If you're not willing to go outside and play baseball with your brothers, that's fine, but you're not going to sit on your iPad and you're going to go for a run. And the really cool thing is once he kind of snapped out of that, kind of the doldrums of COVID that of COVID that we all had to go through. Right. It was, it was, it was a tricky, tricky moment in time. Um, now he's shedded all that weight. He's wrestling. He'll just go out for a run on his own. I remember we were at the field doing baseball and he came with us and he just did like 20 laps around the baseball field um, unprompted. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? He goes, well, coach said that I got to up my cardio for wrestling. And he just, you know, coach wasn't there watching him. He, he did that because, you know, he cares and he wanted to be good at it. And and now he's as a seventh grader, he was third in the state and he only lost to eighth graders, which is crazy. He's got no technique. He just has, you know, his mom's genes of being awesome. And, uh, and he's got this just kind of, he's got a little, he doesn't know karate, but he knows crazy. And I guess that helps in wrestling. So, Hey, Oh, um, 
Hey, uh, but no. So if your kid's just going to default to lazy, you don't just get to be like, Oh, that's just how they are. No, dude, like get, let's go. Like get your behunkus outside and go do something active. Like that's a non-negotiable. Um, and it should be a non-negotiable that's for their mental health too, dude. Yep. Get outside, yep. get some fresh air. Indeed. Yep. And, and that just comes down to looking through the lens again of, uh, do I need this kid to, uh, go five for his next 10? Do I need this, uh, team to win this game tomorrow? Uh, or is, is the lens uh, that you're looking through more of, um, I need them to give 110% every time they step on the field, or I need them to absolutely love and, and feel the joy, uh, of, of stepping onto that field. That's, that's where that comes in. They'll, they'll be less lazy. They will put in the extra work. If at an early age, you're teaching character and you're teaching the, you know, the good choices, but um, yeah, you, I don't really think you have to, you, you don't have to push them, uh, to do that extra work. Uh, they're, they're going to let you know, I want to, I want to, I want to be like Ian Kinsler and I want that extra hundred bucket of balls. Uh, they will let you know at the age of eight, nine and 10. So don't sweat it, uh, all that much. Uh, let's see what else you can do to make them a more well-rounded athlete and well-rounded person. Cause whenever I, um, you know, when I was, when I was even 13, 14, and I started playing a little fall baseball, man, I missed football. I missed it. And and I was like, this doesn't feel right. And then, you know, I was doing my lessons during the winter time. And I'm like, man, I wish I was playing basketball right now. And then spring and summer came and that was baseball season for me. So um, I know John Smoltz, uh, he talks about it all the time. Like they, the multiple sport thing is, is huge. And I think a big reason why a lot of arms are going down at an early age is the specialization, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of high leverage pitches and just doing it too much. So um, that's that one. Number two, the idea that I want to touch on. Oh yeah. Coach. yeah. I, and this is what I love about uh, you and I, I, there's a lot of things I love about you and I, but we're different in that, right? Like I was extremely <clears throat> specialized yep. and, um, you know, it was something where all I ate, drank, slept, breathed baseball only. Right. So, um, and it, you know, I always remember like kids saying like, what if you don't get a scholarship in baseball? Like you kind of, you put all your eggs in one basket or like, it's so hard to get drafted and all that stuff. That also never scared me. It, that was more like, that's going to scare off a lot of other people. But to me, that's almost like exciting because I know it's hard to do, but I also know I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like I know yeah. that I'm going to do everything in my power and God put this on my heart at a very young age. Um, but, but you do, you hear that a lot. And I think that discourages a lot of people. That's okay for the ones that, it, that it encourages like myself. Hey, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, let's go, dude. Like, let's go. Let's, and you can do that. A lot of this stuff, you can do it on your own with YouTube and all that stuff where um, you can get a lot done if you've got that self-motivated, kind of like the opposite of that question we just had, right? Where, mm -hmm. I mean, I was going to do something every single day until I reached my goal, period. End of story. I didn't get drafted as a junior. Great. I'm going to invest $500 and buy a self-soft toss machine in a net. And I'm going to be at the gym four hours a day and I'm going to, I'm getting drafted, you know, and that's, um, those kids that they're out there. And now the other side of that is, is your awesome experience of being this really, really well-rounded athlete and aligning with John Smoltz 
that's powerful too. And, and that's beautiful. And you get that like absence makes the heart grow fonder uh, effect, which mm-hmm. is special. You, you were never going to get burned out. I was never going to get burned out for a different reason. It was yeah. because this was it. Like this was yeah. my passion. This, and to this day, this gives me life. Everyone's like, man, you sure spend a lot of time on baseball. Yeah, that's what wakes me up in the morning. Yeah, That's what helps me fall asleep at night is knowing that I get to be on a baseball field. Um, and that's, there's beauty in that too. So many different locks uh, that you got to find the keys for. And coaches and parents keep searching for the different keys for the Chad shop that that the only thing you got to do is, is say, Hey, uh, take a five minute break from baseball and, uh, and, and hit the gym or something. Right. Um, whereas a coach ball game, Hey, take three months off baseball and go play, go play basketball and golf. Uh, and then the kid that, that, uh, you know, maybe is not, not driven to, to do anything. Well, what are you driven to do? Let, let, and, and, and let me, let me hang out with you while you do it. Right. I've never, yeah. Uh, I've never done rock climbing, but you seem interested. Let's go try that. Let's we'll spend some quality time together. Um, I think they'll they'll Improv? respect you. Sounds they'll, good. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll respect you for that. Um, number two, the idea that the best equipment will make up for a, a bad swing or or help you catch the ball. An example, parents spending three hundred plus dollars on a glove or a bat that is above their child's current skill level. How would you uh, approach this situation with the parents? What do you got? What do you got? Jobs. I mean, my kids can tell you this. I've never bought a bat. I've just never bought a bat. It, it, they change the rules every year, it, right? It's like, oh, BB Core, oh, you triple SA. Every single year. Very smart. Uh, metal bats don't break. You better do something to force mom and dad to buy because mom and dad will do anything for their kid. That's the reality. That's. That's real. That's commendable. That's that's why when parents get mad at me about their kid not playing, I sympathize. You know, it's like I get it. I hear you. you that's your son. That through your eyes, they're the greatest thing ever, and they should be. You're you're playing your your role in the part in their story. Um, but like, and if you've got the money and you want to do that, I, I'm never going to tell a parent not to do it. But two things, like to me, are just straight up taking advantage of a mother and father's love for their child are showcases showcases are a scam in my opinion a complete scam no offense to showcase folks um they're way worse than they are good in my opinion um and the second is all this equipment that's you know state of the line top of the art blah 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 i mean it's why i don't have a really nice road bike i just have a hybrid it's like well it's going to be harder to work out that's better than the lightest you know a, a bike that'll float you know, I, I don't know. So hmm. I'm really against it personally. Like, Hey kid, use a, use a hand-me-down heavier bat. Um, then, then getting the newest thing. But I also, my parents that can afford it and they love doing it. And that's kind of like their love language to their kid. And it's like, I, I get it. So I see both sides of it, but what my advice is, is you certainly don't need it. You need to create good habits and have a good swing. If we're talking about bats, mm-hmm. um, you need to create good habits if we're talking about your glove and, and use your feet. Um, I love knee drill, look up Ron Washington's knee drill and, uh, and, and do that with your kid with, a, with whatever glove you can find. Um, maybe a, not a heavy glove since, cause Bo's always like, ah, oh, my wrist. Cause he's like really trying to lead with his palm with a heavy glove. And that's hard on his little nine-year-old wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no, dude, I'm a huge proponent of it's not the arrow. It's the Indian. 
mm-hmm. right? Let's get that Indian really, 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 really solid uh, at, at his character, at his attitude, at his effort and creating good habits. And it does not matter what arrow you're using. It, it doesn't. I, I totally agree. And and you can go on Amazon, you can find used equipment. I mean, a lot of brand new gloves, they take years to break in. Uh, and so you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball there. So uh, find, find good used equipment. Hand-me-downs are great as far as gloves, gloves go. I never bought a bat either. Uh, we always just shared. Everybody used the same bat on the middle school team, the high school team. Um, so uh, again, yeah, it, it, what, what are you doing for their skill uh, and for their character? How do you, um, uh, how, how do kids that are uh, seventh, eighth grade, how do, how do they grab your attention? As a high school coach, uh, I'm sure parents are thinking, well, I got to send them to this showcase so they'll get some attention. I don't want to be lazy here. Uh, how are you, uh, how are they getting on your radar? Athleticism uh, is a big thing. It's a big deal. Um, and and that that might trump everything outside of their character if they're if they're not being a good teammate and being lazy and throwing a fit when something doesn't go their way don't really have time for it um but athleticism jumps off the charts to me and then for me personally a high baseball iq is very impressive so if i see a kid on a baseball field and he does one of those plays where he balances the field by going to a bag that's unoccupied or just those little subtle nuances that Deb always says, like you see the game differently than other people. You, you see things that most people don't even know are there. Um, if they're seeing that game the same way at that age, it's very impressive to me. Um, but I think so often mom and dad think they got to get a kid to a showcase. And it's like, I, we've talked about this before on a previous podcast. I look at athletes, like think about it, like a car show, right? I can't show my truck right now. It's, it's, it's got a half tank of gas. Uh, it's dinged up on one side from baseball and from hitting a rock. And it's like, you know, it's not waxed. It's not dialed in. So like, that's not going to do anything for me. If I show that thing, I got to hide that thing, wax it, get it gassed up, get it dialed. in. I like, think about that with your athlete. They've got to be at peak performance before you showcase them. Otherwise they're going to check their name for the wrong reason. So like mom and dad, dude, like, get them into doing some lessons. If if that's where they want to go, like get them with a really good coach that is not just going to teach them how to dip and jack, but to teach them how to do things the right way. First round of BP middle away. You should have seen our batting practice yesterday. I'm going on a tangent real quick. Cause I have to, it was Let's the go. most impressive batting practice. I think I've ever seen in my whole life. Like every single one of my babies was sitting rockets the other way. It was, it was incredible. Um, but no, yeah, the show, when it comes to showcases and, and what catches my eye, like I say, athleticism, high baseball IQ and being a good teammate. So you've got a kid, um, that is, uh, that they don't have the money to, to go to a certain showcase or, or they don't have the money to go to get private lessons. How do they get seen? How do they, uh, how do they grab the attention of, uh, a high school coach or a college coach, what can, what can these kids do? Well, you go to someone in your community that's a good person and has a good heart. Um, like for me with my club, I, we have open tryouts all the time. And the first thing I tell mom and dad is, Hey, this is what it costs for our club, blank amount of money. With that said, if you can't afford that amount, whatever you can afford that that's, we'll figure it out. We'll scholarship it. We'll figure that out. I've never turned away a kid because of money and never will. 
Um, yeah. And for the folks that say, well, why do you charge X amount? Well, it's kind of to your point with, with the sandlots. It's like, A, like if my time's going to be away from my family, that, that there's, there's a cost for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, there's equipment. There's uh, these tournaments now for this R18U this summer. It's $2,000 a tournament, dude. It's $2,000 for a four game guarantee. It's $500 a game. It's wildly offensive how much these folks are charging. But so, yeah. um, But no, if you have a passion for this game and you can play it a little bit, like, you just got to go ask a, a coach, hey, can my son try out? We can't afford whatever you're charging, um, but we can afford 20 bucks a month. Okay. And no, just dude's got a good heart. He'll do it. Just like an Alpina, there are people within the community that would throw money uh, to a family that just can't afford, uh, a, you know, a, a league, a baseball a team, whatever it might be. So uh, th- those good people are out there. Find Find the Chad Chops, find the uh the the person that and and yeah j- just just be open and honest same thing for me if if there's somebody that comes to me and says i i just can't afford the sandlot i can't afford your camp they're coming uh, they're never going to turn somebody down based on uh that got to give them the chance and and there there are those heart and souls in every community so don't uh don't shy away from it um and then and the yeah. next time that happens text me and i'll sponsor the next kid that says i can't afford it bang likewise that. yeah that's how it goes Go ahead exactly and that's how it goes is like yeah we, there's plenty of folks that want to help a kid who's got passion absolutely there are plenty of folks like you know what i mean like our money in our bank account at the end of our lives that will not be on our mind the lives mm-hmm. and the hearts that we impacted that will be on our mind so my wife and i talk about that all the time dude it's like money come money go uh, yeah. money is to bless others that's what it's for yep bingo I've always wanted to say this. We interrupt this program to let you know about our one and only sponsor uh, at the Talk and Shop podcast. Uh, we're brought to you by Warstick. Uh, go get you a bat. Go get you a glove. Go get you some socks. Go check out the website. They're awesome. Uh, and go battle. Thanks, Warstick, for supporting the pod. And we're back. Uh, well, a Chopper had to go. Chopper had to go uh, put the put. He got to mow the grass and and put the foul lines out and get ready for that big game. So for uh, for part two of the pod today, listener, we brought in. Uh, I teased I teased this guy earlier. My coaching mentor, uh, Chopper's doppelganger. They're both equally handsome, uh, equally energetic and passionate about the next generation, and they're really the same person but uh I, I know they they come from completely different places uh as well so that this is this is a big honor uh this is sean flicky aka flick money snaps flick money in the house where where are <laughs> you, you so man much. what 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 city what state you find me in a beautiful uh the beautiful town of stanwood washington i'm about uh 45 minutes north of seattle um, and it is, you know, cedar trees and the sunshine's trying to peek through our normal gray layer of rainy clouds. Uh, and uh, you find my heart full, Coach Ballgame. Thank you for having me. What an honor to, uh, to be included in a conversation you're, you're having to change youth sports for the better. Well, I mean, there's not many people where you can vividly remember seeing them for the first time, but I can vividly remember the first time we met 
and I was sleeping on a couch in Hermosa Beach. Our mutual friend, Dan Spring, who will we'll also have to get on this podcast because uh, he's another great mentor of mine. He started these baseball camps in Hermosa Beach, California. And uh, he'd gone to college with me. We'd been teammates and bandmates. And you had been a, a mentor of his as well, uh, far, far before I even knew Dan. But you, we have camp day one on Monday morning at like, we got to be there at 7 a.m. And Flick Money rolls in the door about Sunday night maybe 1230 in the morning, maybe midnight, somewhere there, just got in just in time. And I just remember seeing those blue eyes and this huge smile. And, and it was like, oh, uh, th this is going to be, this is going to be a vibe. <laughs> this, this energy that he is just bringing into the door, uh, you know, this unconditional love and this joy that just kind of spewed from your face. I was like, I think these kids are going to be fine. And uh, I, I did a post uh, earlier in the week on my socials. Please go uh, watch it on Coach Ballgame's Instagram. But it, uh, those the, those weeks and those years, those summers that we spent together, uh, at some point there was this light bulb moment for me of, oh, this is how you coach a kid. Uh, and it was by watching you. Uh, it was by watching you engage with each kid, come up with nicknames for them by asking them questions, uh, storytelling, the way you could tell a story, man, it, it's, it's 60 minutes where kids are just chilling out, having a siesta after lunch and, and you're engaging them. Um, and then, uh, a, a particular moment that we'll discuss, uh, in a few minutes, uh, that, that really turned me around from that, this militant, passive aggressive, when it all costs, you know, all the toxic stuff that you think about as, as, as a rookie coach, I was all of that. Um, so flick money, let's start there. You obviously weren't dropped from heaven, uh, you know, and, and just became the best, you know, the best coach of all time. Where, where did that come from? Was there a mentor of yours that taught you to love the game and communicate that love in a healthy way? Oh man. Yeah. There's a lineage coach. We, we are in a lineage. There have been so many uh, teachers, the links of teachers, mentors, and coaches who link me to you. And then back in time, um, uh, my direct influences, of course, um, uh, my college uh, assistant coach, Dean Stotts, um, who's Stanford uh, by family. The way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Stanford University, Coach Stotts uh, and his wife, Kathy, and their family um, really were a, a family away from home for me. Uh, and seeing him uh, evolve as a coach and a father, he had two kids in the time I was at Stanford, which is he became a father when I was there and watching him turn from, you know, this incredible baseball mind, fiery. And of course, at NCAA Division One you know, Pac-12 baseball, it was competitive and seeing him still have that fire. But as he became a father and as his heart started to sort of grow three sizes uh, and watching him incorporate those two things had a huge impact on me. Um, you know, Coach Marquis, 
um, legendary Hall of Fame head coach, watching he put his passion into preparation, how practices were prepared, how the field was set up. That's how he showed his particular care and love. But man, when the lines were down, he was all business. Um, but specifically when we talk about coaching kids, um, uh, my very first job that wasn't playing minor league baseball was uh, I got hired in Washington, D.C. by a legendary youth coach named John McCarthy. Um, Johnny who, Mac. Uh, also, Johnny Mac also mentored Dan Spring, uh, mentored hundreds, thousands of us who have gone on to coach. And uh, I had never met anyone who had that combination of, you know, he was a knuckleball uh, pitcher, both in college pitched in five different universities because no one knew how to teach a knuckleball or how to coach him. So he just shopped it year to year from Enterprise State Junior College, worked his way up and eventually got a spot at South Alabama with uh, the great Hall of Fame coach, Eddie Stanky, um, Hall of Fame player and coach Eddie Stanky uh, was one of his mentors. And Johnny Mack um, was where I learned the art of the storytelling. You know, that's that's pure Irish magic right there. You put him in front of a, a couple hundred kids and parents. And uh, I had never seen anything like it. You know, um, uh, the uh, there's an Irish saying uh, that Johnny Mac's brother loves to say, which is, you know, don't let um, uh, don't let the no. He says exaggeration is for the benefit of the listener, not the teller. <laughs> so, so you got you got to give creative license when you're telling stories and you're telling because you're you're impacting kids through these stories that narrative is going to stick in their brains and so watching him um, uh, with young people uh, the things that are important to him the way that he drove home consistent messages things like you know the how may I help you the five most important words in the English language are how may I help you and I'm watching him say this to 200 kids while he's giving out baseball cards for great eye contact that all just sunk in, you know, those, those skills, those chops. But, um, but what he was really doing uh, was he was also coaching the parents. The parents are in the back you know, they're behind the bleachers, listening to their kids getting this and they're just soaking it up, loving it. But the subtle messages of how you interact with young people in a way you can set high standards for them uh, and you can push them to high standards. If you are equally, uh, uh, passionate about loving them, about telling them you appreciate their effort, about noticing the things that they're doing, um, about offering gentle corrections rather than, you know, harsh criticism. So uh, he was just, he's just a master and he's still doing it. He's still doing it both in on the East Coast, uh, Johnny Mac is, uh, and in the Dominican Republic, where uh, his, even with um, questionable Spanish skills, he's one of those people you could, with no language, he could teach yeah. a youngster to play the game passionately so uh yeah i come from a a, a great lineage of, of teachers and mentors that's great so johnny mack was was uh was your guy and and you and dan were were my guys and um springer was the first uh to to kind of fill me in on hey um i learned this from johnny mack i've learned this from flick money but uh you kind of got to change your lens a little bit as a young 22 year old coach, I have no confidence in, in my voice. I, like I've never done this before. So uh, I, I attack any kind of disrespect or <clears throat> aggression with the same vibe. I'm going to come, I'm going to, I'm going to come louder. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. You should submit to me and do it now. And it just never seemed to work. Maybe for like 0.5% of kids, but does, 
does that firm tone uh, actually work? Um, and and he's like, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. you. You're coming off a little passive aggressive and and it's not working. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I love you. Uh, and, and this is coming from a loving place, but uh, kids might walk away from the game because of your tone. And, and that was an eye opener. And, and at first I wanted to quit. I'd be like, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, I, I've got these young kids and I'm trying to wrangle them. Um, but then his big thing was positive reinforcement, which sounds like, you know, he, he saw that with Johnny Mac, uh, baseball cards for making those good choices. Uh, if any listener that's ever been to any of my camps or sandlots, I mean, this is verbatim. This is what I do, but something that, uh, you were, you were really able to do with me is, um, kind of see my talents and then, uh, and then allow me to find my own voice uh, while I was kind of learning uh, from you. I remember uh, you were like, you handed the baton to me, you know, this might've been the first summer, maybe second. And you're like, you're going to tell the Clemente story. You're going to tell Roberto Clemente. And <laughs> I remember being a little nervous and like being very in tune with every kid that wasn't listening. And, um, and then afterwards I'm like, how to do, how to do coach. And he's like, it's like he's like you did great but here's one tip look at them in their eyes next time i'll never forget that you're like you you got to look at them in their eyes while you're while you're saying the story while you're, you're you're telling that um i i i think the question i have for you is that came from a place of lo like love like you loved each kid and because you love them, you were able to meet them on their own playing field. Who taught you that? Because I know you had a a, a, a difficult upbringing. So who who taught you to who taught you that love? Man, um, that's a great question. So yeah, first of all, I want to acknowledge you know your your very your self reflection about the way that you were the tools you were bringing to coaching when you first started in all fairness, if we're going to do the full scouting report, you brought some significant tools coach uh, that cannot be taught. You have uh, from day, from, from the moment I met you on that couch, it was obvious to me, you have the energy of 50 human beings. Okay. <laughs> and that's something that cannot be taught your enthusiasm for life in general, for learning and for the game of baseball, particularly that can't be taught and that shines through and that that drove, um, you know, our work together, uh, the learning and, you know, you becoming this incredible mentor, teacher, man, husband, father that you are all stems from that work ethic, that enthusiasm, that energy, which was infectious. And frankly, you know, having having done at that point a few more years at camps than you. It, you influence me in such a positive way because that energy, I would be so excited. You were like almost like a puppy the first year. You'd have so much energy coming out of your body. It was like emanating off of you. And that really, you know, when you're, if you're 10, 12, 14 years into doing camps, sometimes, you know, uh, it, it's easy to slip it into third gear when you know your shtick, you know how you're doing it. But it was impossible to slip it into third gear when you were around, brother, because you were, you were in. You were in fifth looking for a sixth gear, whether it was there or not at all times. And so let's uh, go. Yeah, you, brought, you brought a lot to the table. And um, and in terms of the sort of personal philosophy around um, unconditional love, um, you know, 
I was, you know, I was a foster kid when I was young. My mom uh, decided it was that she couldn't take care of me somewhere right around my first birthday and and um, put me in a foster home. And so um, I ended up being raised in nine different homes, but I was adopted at one point. And um, uh, it just I was adopted by parents who were disabled. My dad was a, a Vietnam vet. He was a silver star winner, but he was disabled. And and uh, I had love around me and a lot of people who loved me. Um uh, and uh, the journey was very difficult for them and for me. And um, uh, so there was some inconsistencies, a lot of stops and starts, a lot of waking up in a new house and not knowing where quite where I was. And so uh, what I learned, I think, or developed, kids are super resilient, man. You know, we figure it out. And what I figured out is if I could emanate, radiate positivity, uh, even from as a, a youngster, um, I was more likely just to get my needs met, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. so I think part of that was a survival mechanism that just bringing some, you know, waking up and choosing to put a smile on my face, choosing to whatever the day before brought, you know, let's, let's bring the, the positive energy. And then the articulation about, um, what it means to show unconditional love, um, uh, for a young person. I think, um, I had a, an empathy. I understood that what kids, when kids come to camp, when they show up to a sandlot on day one, what you're seeing is only a very thin part of the story. You know, maybe 10% of, of who they are and how they're actually feeling. There's an ocean underneath, you know, and you know, it's hard. Life is hard. You know, it's also beautiful. It's also a gift. Those are all things are all true, but life is also a challenge and, and kids are bringing in things carrying them invisible things that we can't see um, and we have no idea about. Um, and I learned that in my own childhood that, um, uh, you know, it's, we can, I could put on a smile and show up to school and you would have no idea how difficult a journey, you know, I was walking in that moment. And so um, I tried to bring that every day. And so when I saw a youngster acting out, not listening, you know, back turned, being disrespectful, it was, to me, it was just an intuitive feel um uh that something's up you know this is this is someone who's asking very unskillfully for more love for more yeah. attention for more something so there's something that he's asking for or she's asking for and we can't we just don't know what it is yet i can i can specifically remember multiple times when the those kids would would show up and they would have their back turned or they would be arguing and my gut instinct was what's wrong with you and and let, let push-ups call mom and, and then looking at you coming from a completely different place like almost of you're almost laughing laughing at that and 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 in not in a um uh a, a detriment you know not in a demeaning way whatsoever you were just taking it in and 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 kind of smiling at the fact that oh this is going to be this is going to be a good relationship we build throughout this week. We're we're going to have some deep talks, uh, and and I was like, I'm flipping out, and and flicks over here to like excited to to hear this kid's story. So I I slowly jumped on board with that, and you know this podcast is for coaches and parents that that are just starting out or or going through these uh, th these issues with, with their different kids that they coach. And, and I mean, you were number one at, um, picking up the depth of, of each kid and trying to find the different key to unlock, uh, each one of them. 
um, the, the, the Miyagi, the, whatever you want to call it, just, you, you really treated coaching as therapy. Uh, and then, you know, we happen to be on a baseball field and sure, uh, you know, that we can teach backspin and, and line drive swings, but, uh, you really coached people and you, you, you coached the heart, uh, as opposed to the player. So, um, I, I, I just want to thank you for kind of opening my eyes to that. Uh, and, and I think what we built there in my twenties, you know, in, in Southern California, Dan spring, and he's still got great camps going in, in Southern California, spring training baseball. But I mean, he, he managed, he was able to manage these, uh, to a T and he knew exactly how to set up a camp, uh, and, and, you know, have different stations going. And he taught me how to, uh, really set up the different small stations and manage, and run a business. Uh, it, he also came from a place of positive reinforcement and building character. Like, can we teach these kids to love the game and build character? You, uh, you brought this wisdom, this sage, uh, this master of storytelling uh, aspect and, and really connecting with, with hearts uh, by looking these kids in the eye, unlocking each, uh, each one of their locks with, you know, a specific key based on things you've learned. And then once I started to find my voice, I, I just brought that puppy dog energy. Uh, and, you know, I, it, that's 18 years ago now. This will be my 19th summer camp uh, of working. And I think I fell in love with coaching uh, because of you and Dan and the way you approached it. Um, something? Well, hey, yeah, coach, go ahead. I, I just wanted to reflect also because I can almost hear I can almost hear some of my old, like my coaches from when I was a kid. Maybe you can hear some of the voices of those coaches from where you, you grew up. That that old world style of coaching, that sort of, you know, meet disrespect with push-ups, that has value. It's not it, it's not that it has no value and it's not that it has no place. Um, that Those are tools in the tool belt uh, for specific kids and for specific situations. Um, uh, what I have come to uh, appreciate is, the nuance of coaching, you know, you know, maybe in the old days, old days, if you could make assumptions that every kid had two parents at home, they got, you know, the requisite nine hours of sleep, there was food on the table, there was no financial stress, you know, we're talking like, kind of the way I suppose the 1950s might have looked in a lot of parts <laughs> of America, you know, Andy Griffith, then you could, you could come with that energy as a coach and set a culture of discipline and hard work. And I think those are those are really critically important things as a person, as a young male uh, growing up. I needed those things, and I I appreciate my old school coaches who brought those things. Um, but there's I realized there's more dimension to a human being than just that piece. So if that's the only, it's like playing in a band. Someone's, someone's got a great instrument, but they're just playing the same note over and over and over, you know, it's uh, it's not always more cowbell isn't always what's required, more <laughs> discipline, more, uh, you know, more structure isn't always what's required. Sometimes there is this other component of the healing of the human heart and the, the human experience needs uh, human medicine, you know, care. Uh, sometimes they need an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes they need, you know, if we consensually, you know what I mean? This is 2023, but, but some kids, we forget that some kids may, they may not have had a hug in two weeks. 
for whatever the circumstances are. And as human beings, you know, that just there's all kinds of research you can to that shows what happens to us when we don't get that level of attention and care, especially in the developmental years. So, so it's just about fleshing out a tool belt that has all of these tools that can, that has nuance to it and appreciates the, the, the complexity of the human experience. And for me, when you said I would, you saw me smiling when I would see those kids, I just thought, what a beautiful challenge we're about to step into. That's we're going right. to have to figure this out together. I don't know what the combination is, uh, but let's, let's learn. I just thought that was, for me, that was a great, a great challenge. Yeah. A specific challenge that I I'm, I'm trying to write a book and, you know, I'm, I'm most of what I do and why I do it is because of the lineage of my mentors and the, the visual that just stands out in my mind is, uh, one of these kids that you were excited to to embark on the challenge with um, just wasn't listening to anything I said and was, was actually being disrespectful to others. And uh, there could have been some fists thrown even it, it was it was anger. And uh, and I was kind of at a loss. And and you took the kid aside. You put your arm around him. You spent quality time. I mean, hours together where you're just sitting and uh, not much is being said, but you're you're showing this love, this unconditional love. And and that was that was the light bulb for me, that that visual. Um, nothing you could have said after me watching that could have. I, I mean, I, I would have picked up some of it, but I wouldn't have understood it as a 22 year old coach. But just the visual and kind of watching what you did and your your um, your body language uh, and and your tone. Uh, that's what spoke to me as far as, well, that's what's speaking to him is this, this coach has just got a body language of, of come on, man, uh, give me a hug. I'm here for you. I'm here to love on you. Um, and, and, and figure out, you know, what, what is, what, why aren't you getting those nine hours of sleep? You know, what, what is going on at home? Uh, and it just, it, it's definitely something I, I had to, uh, fight yesterday. You know, I don't think the urge is ever gone for me to go, uh, Andy Griffith, 50, 1950s, uh, discipline pushups. When somebody, um, is acting up that there's an urge there, it's primal or whatever it is, but, um, the volume has gone way down on that as I've grown and matured. So, uh, it, it comes up daily in my walk. So, uh, that was that that was a moment. I don't know if you do you recall that specific moment. Uh, I'm, there was I think there were multiple times you had to <laughs> put out fires. Yeah, I remember. I remember the child and I remember the moment. Um, and, you know, first of all, yeah, when the, 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 the lash outs were in anger, the child was showing a lot of anger. And one, one thing that I knew in my own experience, and I think is true of a lot of men in general, is that when we feel we're very uncomfortable with the feeling of hurt, like emotional hurt, pain, you know, sadness, those are really difficult for the, the male. It's, they're, they're difficult as a human. But I think um, women being natural healers and nurturers, there's a way that their systems are, are more adept at processing those um, because it's so important for helping, you know, babies and young children and growing us into adults to be able to process that stuff. I think males, we really struggle in general, but definitely uh, uh, I noticed in my experience that if I'm feeling hurt or sadness, it likes to rewire to anger. 
uh, I feel because anger is a, there's a motivating, there's a, there's a physical release of energy. It's a, it's a proactive force, whereas sadness hurts, feels like it's happening to you and there's, you're kind of stuck in it and it's really difficult. So when I saw that child lashing out in anger, it just intuitively made sense to me that, okay, this is a very hurting child. So now is it hurting because he's getting, you know, is he getting a, a is there a lack? So of something or is there too much of something right because there's it's got to be something's out of balance so is it is he getting too much discipline at home is he being told too often what he's not doing right is he being told you know is someone in his house really noticing all the things that that are um, bothering them about this child and he's getting that on over on load is he getting too much physical discipline in his home is he so there's that, that that's one body of questions or the other is or is he getting not enough of something you know is a dad working hard to put that nice house nice roof over the head but is gone 80 hours a week as a result um you know his mom um uh you know feeling that absence of dad and maybe trying to cover it with a social life that's causing her to be away from the youngsters uh space and time you know there's you're you're just trying to peel away the layers and under the onion and understand where's the lack and where's the where, where may or maybe where's the excess but a child often doesn't they won't be able to articulate that for themselves yeah. so now it becomes and how do i get that information from them right so is this a child that i can uh uh, you know, so I remember you asking for help and I remember going and sitting down on the bleachers. And the first thing is I had to figure out what's the physical proximity that I need to sit away from this child hmm. so that they can't feel, first of all, safe, because no one is going to allow anything to happen if their, their nervous system, their mind doesn't feel safe. So do they feel safer if to have me closer to them or do they feel safer to have a little space for me? So just, you know, it's just the, it's a, it's an art there's an art to it of just trying to understand, okay, physical proximity. Okay. Is this a kid who, who restores their energy in, in quiet, or is this a child that restores their energy in extroversion conversation being connected with and ask questions about, right? So it's just one, one, like literally six inch step at a time to try to figure out that combination. What's the combination locked if, to this child feeling safe to this child having a great experience and eventually feeling some joy in this um, baseball camp experience. When remember these summer camps, as you know, coach, sometimes it's the best childcare available for the week for the family. And that child may not really love baseball. They may not yeah. know about baseball. They might be feeling insecure that there's 30 kids on the field that are better than they are. And so, and, and, dad or mom or auntie dropped me off here this morning and I don't really want to be here or I'm feeling like you know the rest of my family went on vacation I'm feeling a little neglected whatever it is um you, you try to we got to try to figure that out and provide that the experience that's uh that's going to hopefully unlock some joy for them for that time so that was the for me you're I'm watching you run your field I've got your youngster on the bleacher I have a distinct memory of it and what you had in spades still to this day is that energy and that enthusiasm was just ringing out right and for a child who's hurting and feeling uh, uh, a combination of confusing things on the inside enthusiasm and energy can sometimes feel like oh my gosh look at you know that in and of itself can feel intimidating or I could sure. feel out of place mm -hmm. so um that was uh, so my experience with them I just remember sitting there and just I'm I'm gonna give this this is gonna be a nice slow roll towards connection and it may not happen today um but I'm gonna let him know that I'm not leaving him I'm here 
if you need something, I'm right here with you. And, um, and then I'm just going to start the, the very gentle um, asking some questions. You know, let me ask him some open-ended questions. This is important for coaches out there. Give kids a chance to speak. So if you ask a yes or no question, you get a yes or no answer, and then you're right back to where you started and that's no progress, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you know, hey, um, what do you love to do? in your free time, you know, kids love talking about what they love. Wait, what's, um, you know, what's your favorite show? Who's your favorite character? Um, you know, let's try to learn through some, uh, quite open-ended questions that give me a chance to find out who they are. And that's what I remember doing with that youngster. And we found a connection point around a comedy, um, movie that we both liked. And, um, I remember doing some, you know, now, now, and this is something you, you're great at, which is okay. Now that I know I've got that in, let's do some character work here. You know, maybe <laughs> I can drop a skillful line from the movie in the right moment. And that kid like catches, then it may not even be in that conversation with them. Maybe I'm doing it, you know, an hour later when we're doing a different drill, but I use a line from that show. And now that kid's like, they remembered that coach remembered connection right and i'm important enough for them to remember which you know oftentimes for a child that's that's exactly what they need that was that's great man and uh, i mean I, I i don't know if you're conscious of it or not but you just the way you um manage that that whole situation every coach that was there assistant coach junior coach me we we picked up on it and, and, you know, I, I know you, you were fully present in that one child's life and their heart, but just the way you went about it, uh, you made all the coaches uh, notice more nuances, you know, the, the next day, they're, they're going to be a more well-rounded coach. Uh, and, and for me, I, I do like to control and I like things snappy and tight and when w there's one kid not allowing that to happen, uh, it really bothered me, and it, it threw me off early on. Uh, I've 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 gotten a lot better with that. I know there are times when I've got thirty kids, and I can't I can't just wander off uh, and 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 love on one particular kid for a couple hours. And and uh -huh. maybe there's coaches out there with the same issues, but. Um, I can still, I, I can still run my practice or act, you know, bring a, an assistant coach on that can, that can really help me with the, the uh, P's and Q's so I can spend a little more time uh, with this kid's heart. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, yeah. coach, I have an idea for you too. This is a bring Johnny it. Mac one-on-one right, right here. If you're leading a practice or you're responsible for a lot, large number of kids and you don't have the time to peel off for that one conversation put a pin in that moment around like later at some point when i can we're going to get into that conversation but johnny mac is the master of engaging the wildest the most the loudest the kids that's having the hard the child that's having the hardest time um johnny mac is a master at engaging them in being becoming his assistant let's find something for them to do constructively with the energy. Then if I can't peel off and get to the root of it and start doing that kind of personal connection work, then let's engage it. And you're going to be my, you know, director of my assistant director of field operations. You're going to be my, um, uh, you're going to be uh, responsible for director of, you know, hydration operations. You're going to make sure we're going to, I need four Gatorades to the field. They're in the back of my car. Here's my keys, right? So like, let me find something for you to do where you have 
have can feel valued you feel yeah. seen we're using that energy in a positive way and if the child's too young you're like i'm not giving that kid keys to my car that kid's you know six years old and they might pop in there and put the thing in gear and i'm parked on a hill uh, i understand those fears then when then the other thing i saw johnny do often was he would just have them you're going to stay right with me in my shadow i want to take you all over the field and he would be in a and it like if he's gonna um, he's still running the practice right so if we're gonna do an infield drill he's he's talking to the child and he's talking to the group so he's like watch this we're gonna you know we're gonna do infield i'm gonna teach them you know alligator 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 vacuum that's what we're working on when i go to you i'm gonna ask you uh you know what are these arms representing you're gonna say alligator you got it you know and my he might kid might be like five or six years old so now he's teaching he's got 30 kids there yeah, he's teaching the the infield drill and then he he turns to his to the little dude who was having a hard time and uh he's like you know show me tell me what these arms represent and the little kid's like alligator and uh, <laughs> he gets everyone to cheer, you know get, get his, let's cheer for this guy and they all you know you would give him an out of boy and so he puts him in his shadow and, and and sort of makes him his assistant. And that's the way he'll make that connection. And so there's different ways you can do it depending on your responsibilities at the time. No doubt, man. And a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times those kind of kids, uh, when you elevate them to some sort of coaching status, man, they their whole countenance turns uh, and you're like, man, I, yeah, I need you to help these other kids uh, learn the, how to do this. That's a great idea. I'm totally going to use that uh, next week uh, at my sandlot. But man, these kids, and and I'm seeing it now, you know, uh, 18 years into my coaching, some of these kids that I coach, now they're either in college or out of college in pro ball or, or adults and getting married and having their own kids. Uh, but when I have a player that ages out and wants to be a coach, Man, they're so excited about that. You know, you elevate them just a little bit to junior coach, even though they're they're carrying water coolers uh, and they're hitting fungos. They're so pumped to have that kind of status, and and that that's telling. You know, when you've got a kid uh, that that's making bad choices and being disrespectful, and then you elevate them to some place of of status, uh, that's what they're yelling for. They're screaming for to be valued. <laughs> And to have the spotlight on them and, and to to have that uh, attention. And I think that's a great way to to nurture that need is, well, you know, instead of instead of giving you all the attention and and maybe that that attention is is negative from from me. Hey, let, let's let's give all these kids your attention and put you in this place of of superiority, so to speak. So. Yeah, Johnny Mac. It's man. it's masterful, and, and yeah. Johnny Mac, Johnny Mac has an, an entire summer camp staff of kids who were the problem kid when they were five and six. They were Crazy. that kid that you and I are talking about. They they are so loyal to him. They would run through a wall for him. Many of them have never developed a love for baseball. What they developed a love for was that relationship with Johnny Mac. They, what yeah. they developed a love for was the one place they could come and have a little bit of status and, and feel a little bit important uh, was, is that ball field. And so they are in it for life. And many of them, you know, w will not or did not go on to make their own high school varsity teams, but they are incredible in that setting in that venue with little ones because they now understand they, they the 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 student becomes the teacher 
and they see themselves and they get to work yeah. with themselves, their own five and six-year-old selves as they become 11, 12, 13, 14, right? And it is such a beautiful process to watch. And I think you hit the nail right on the head there, which is um, uh, I think a lot of coaches fear, well, if I reward this behavior, what mm -hmm. am I doing for them, right? What, what, I don't want to reward this bad behavior, but you're not rewarding bad behavior. What you're doing is you're listening and you're honoring a deeper need that they have, right? Yeah. So it's a sort of a, you know, if you've ever studied any psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We have our physical needs, our physiological needs, water and sleep and rest, but you work up the hierarchy and the emotional need for a sense of belonging is really, really fundamental and it underlies any ability to, um, go on and succeed and have, you know, a, a, have a good life is the sense that I'm important and I'm valued. And so what you're doing is you're actually meeting a deeper need. It's, it's, um, I think a lot of us were raised to fear rewarding bad behavior. I know I was, um, mm -hmm. but you got to get past the idea that it's good or bad behavior. You got to, it's just behavior and it's behavior that's belying a, a much deeper psychological and emotional need. So, um, good. I've seen it. I just, I've watched masters work and, and now you are a master coach and I just appreciate the work you're out there doing. And uh, as you, as you, I've watched your podcast and listened to you, as you said many times, it's a work in progress, man. We're all learning, you know, yep. I don't know how to live this life to you. No, you know, we're just no daily. And you. yeah, this weekly conversation I have with Chopper and and guests that come on. Yeah, it's it's food for the week. I'm a better coach uh, on a Wednesday uh, just because of having this talk, you know, weekly on a Tuesday. Uh, something we talk about and I think we'll we'll close with this theme for the day um, uh, is we talk about processing failure. <laughs> Uh, a lot. And and Dallas Braden was just on and he said, you know, the successful ones, they process failure better than everybody else. And that is very true with baseball. Uh, but I think it, it's in all walks of life, because I think every day you, you're either going to feel like a failure or or the the world uh, has has come down on you in some way. Uh, and you've got to be able to uh, react it, it, it positively, negatively, some way. Um, tell the listener, cause I still remember this and it speaks to me. We, we, we talked about you processing a lot of failure as a kid, nine different living in nine different homes, uh, foster homes and, and kind of teaching yourself empathy the hard way. Um, your final college baseball appearance, uh, walk us through, uh, because you told the story many times to many kids and coaches, uh, it, it, you're at Stanford, uh, your senior year of college, talk us through that moment. And then how'd you respond and, and kind of how did, how did, how did you grow from that moment, uh, as, as a, as a man? Yeah. So for a little context, I was a walk-on at Stanford, right? I got into yeah. school. Uh, I hand wrote my application. I don't know if you could do this in 2023, but in 1991, I just, I did the best I could with the tools I had, hand wrote my application. I got into school. I called the baseball office. I introduced myself. I said, you know, I'm, I, I want to come down and, and walk on. I'm an outfielder. And uh, the assistant coach was very kind. And he said, uh, uh, congratulations. This is a life-changing experience for you down here. But I just want you to know, we just had 11 guys drafted this week in the, in the major league draft. Um, and uh, so it's not a program that's generally, you know, real receptive to walk-ons, just the level we're playing at. 
um, but you're welcome to come try, you know, and so um, that was my, that was the door cracked open that I needed. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent the first few weeks in sweatpants when everyone else in the team was in, uh, you know, decked out new practice unis, brand new Mizunos, new gloves. Um, and so it had been a journey for me to first, you know, get a uniform, um, to, to make the team. I got one at bat as a freshman. I got three as a sophomore. I got my first start uh, as a junior uh, when we were ranked number one in America, played Mark Kotze and the mighty Cal State Fullerton Titans, who would only lose nine games that entire college season. I believe they finished 73 and nine uh, and won the national title. And, and so I got my first start that year as a junior and some, uh, but I didn't play well. I went over three. Uh, bungled to play in the outfield. So my window as a walk-on closed pretty quickly. I uh, didn't see the field again for the rest of the year. So my senior year, um, uh, you know, I see it all. I see the writing on the wall here. I've spent thousands of hours and I'm coming down to the end of what uh, has been my little boy dream, you know, to sign and play and, and play uh, big league baseball. Um, and I just love my teammates, Stanford. You know, I played with a bunch of great guys and we, we got a really good team, you know, um, and we we go on a tear at the end of the season. We win the last 17 straight to close the season, and we, we host a regional. The regional comes to our park, and uh, uh, Florida State, J.D. Drew uh, shows up uh, uh, with the mighty Florida State Seminoles, um, and uh, Cal State Northridge with Adam Kennedy um, and Robert Fick, who played for the Braves for a long time. Uh, it was a it was a great regional, packed with good players and teams, and and. Uh, uh, we won it. We beat Mississippi State, I remember, and uh, we win and we beat Cal State Northridge. And then we've got to play Florida State. And it was just a 4 4 ball game in the ninth. And a pinch hitter hits a little, hits an opposite field home run to to win it in the ninth for Florida State. And so we, we, out, we now have a loss. We got to come back. We got to win two straight games to get to the College World Series, uh, which we had been to the year before. So we had some experience in these elimination games. And, and, um, uh, and that point, I'm playing a little bit DH in here and there, but I was also had been a, our team's a pinch runner for a number of years. I was, you know, a pretty good athlete, uh, uh, faster than I looked. And so uh, we got into a, a tight ball game. We were down four three in the ninth. I remember Jody Garrett was up to bat, who was an eight year big leaguer, um, uh, great player. And Cale uh, uh, Carter had got a uh, got to second base. Was on, uh, so that would be our tying run, and. Um, uh, you know, I was a step fat quicker than him. So Coach Marquis, I was also an outfielder, so was he. So Coach Marquis put me into pinch run. We needed the run. It was the ninth inning, um, two outs. And I go in, get my legs loose, ready to go. I'm on second base. The crowd's, you know, it's loud. It's crowds into it. Every, everyone's up. Jody's up to bat. And they bring in Robbie Crabtree, the relief pitcher, uh, who's a great pitcher, nasty, nasty split finger fastball. And um he comes in, does his warm-up pitches, and I'm so fired up and just feel like Jody's going to hit a rope and everything's going to be great. And I go to to get my my lead off a of second base, crowd screaming, and I must not have heard the, the our third base coach very well. Uh, Adam Kennedy slips in behind me, and the pitcher wheels to pick, which I wasn't going anywhere, so it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like I was leaning or anything. I just go to dive back in, but... Adam Kennedy, that dirty, rotten scoundrel of a human being, had <laughs> so thoroughly blocked second base. When I go to dive back in, I literally I try to punch through his where his hamstring and his calf are like are touching each other because he's crouched down to try to get my hand to the base. I get picked off second base, brother, to end the inning, the game, our season, 
and my college career all face down in the dirt at second base at Sunken Diamond in what can only be described as um, hard. <laughs> that was a hard. That was a hard moment, man. Golly, uh, man! Yeah, I'm sure you still have dreams about oh, that day, man. Oh my God! So many. I mean, all I, you know, so many different things that I, I could have done differently. Uh, just probably should have suspected that they were going to try to keep me close. Um, but I was so fired up. I was just locked in, you know, and ready to take off and go. But um, I, of course, I've replayed it a million times. But I, the one thing that I've I've come to, you know, I've got peace in my heart with it. Number one, obviously, um, I'm a father now and uh, I've come to peace with it because um, I feel that if our season was going to end, you know, it wasn't in the cards for us to be the be in the College World Series that year. In a strange way, I felt uniquely prepared to be the person to take on, mm-hmm. not that I was did it consciously or even unconsciously, but later I realized like, I love those guys so much. If someone needed to be the one that was going to make the last out, that it was going to end that dream, then um, I had gone through so much as a kid. You know, my resilience was really high when it comes to emotional bounce bounce back. And um, so it was, I had a very, very difficult, uh, about an hour uh, when after that happened, right? I, I ran off the field, I remember, and I got dressed and I left the clubhouse. I tried to, I was just couldn't look my teammates in the eyes, to be honest with you. I felt so hurt and sad that our season was over and that for our seniors, our career was over. And I, I got out of there before anyone could get in and get dressed. They were still having the team meeting. Um, and uh, I got in my little, my little vehicle, my blazer went to the, found this kind of greasy spoon restaurant you know, a few miles from campus and um, went in and sat down at this lunch counter. And there was a, a next to me, there was an old guy and I, you know, I don't want to make assumptions, but he, he vibed like a homeless guy. He kind of had the, sure. the outer shell of someone who had been living out in the elements. And he had hustled up enough money that day for himself to get himself a hot meal and a cup of coffee. And he was sitting at that counter and, um, and he started chatting me up. And it took me about five, five minutes to sit there and hear some of his experience before I realized it, it's a game. It's yeah. a beautiful game. It's a game that, I get, that has given me so much. I appreciate it. But, but this guy was dealing, had dealt with real world um, difficulties and suffering at a level that, you know, that I had not. And um, it put things into perspective in a hurry. And I feel, I honestly felt like he was kind of an angel that was just dropped in my path because it helped me process that failure yeah. very, very quickly. Uh, put oh, things in, into that big perspective. So I can imagine. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 and for a kid, you know, growing up, just being passed from family to family, house to house, uh, t- I can imagine it was not very easy for you to process uh, another failure or another, you know, I'm not good enough for for this or I'm not good enough for that. But man, oh man, as 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 a student of of the flicky way of coaching, um, you exude this innate ability to overcome anything and that is just another specific example of um the the whole team is on your shoulders and and you are the one that hey i'll i'll take the bullet here if it if it has to go i'd rather it be me um but the the way you're able to 
learn from the failures. I, I think that's what really makes you the man you are. You also didn't go down looking. You you went down aggressive, which I, also speaks to me. Like you were ready to get that that bigger lead, that bigger jump on that ground ball through the five hole to get home to tie that game like there was this aggressive nature to it adam kennedy was on the pod earlier i wish i would have asked him i know he remembers that moment uh, uh but he you know blocking that base and keeping you away uh, i had no idea about the man in the restaurant that uh you know the angel uh that 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 gave you some perspective but all of these battles that you've gone through uh, and and uh, you'll continue to have battles that you'll have to overcome and failures you have to process, but it has worked for the greater good, man. It has worked for the thousands of kids you've coached and then the the hundreds of of me's that uh, you've mentored, not even trying to, you know, just 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 by playing cards with you uh, and and playing music with you and and just, being around you while you tell the Jim Abbott story, uh, it, you it, all those failures had a purpose. All, all of the hiccups had a purpose, and it was uh, for the greater good. So, um, you, you're the man. You're my you're my coach ball game, buddy. Oh, brother, you have no idea how good that makes my heart feel to hear you say that. It's it's an it's it's when I say it's an honor to watch you doing your workout in the world. And to uh, uh, see how you, you have evolved the work and the tools and the, uh, how you've turned unconditional love and that message into what you've turned it into and the way that you engage kids. Uh, I appreciate so much. I've wanted to thank you for a long time for working with kids of different abilities, for working with kids who, who bring different challenges to the ballpark, whose uh, struggles seen and unseen. I mean, you are just doing and spreading the love of baseball. Uh, I just... I, I'm, it's an honor. Uh, and hearing you say that does so much good for my heart. And I agree with you, you know, the, the, the juiciest, the, the, the part of life that is um, where we grow, right. Mm -hmm. is, is that soil is yep. there's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of decomposing failures and hurts and heartbreaks and things that didn't go our way and unmet expectations and, and uh, assumptions that turned out to be totally all that is the soil from which, you know, the beauty of life, beautiful flowers, springtime flowers grow. And, uh, you know, without getting too soft on you, you know, I just feel um, so grateful to be a part of that journey for, for youngsters, for young coaches. Um, and, uh, and I'm still in it myself as a coach. Yeah, and I still look, I'm still looking to mentors and I'm still um, looking for ways. And, and I consider you, uh, and I think this is important, for the ego that the ego doesn't get to a place where I sort of arrived. I'm now watching you through the eyes of a student and you're doing things that I had never dreamed of. And I just think it's, um, this is the good stuff, brother. And, and so on. Oh, I love you, man. Uh, it, I, love you I see you in Bainbridge Island, uh, May 21. Let's take the ferry over there. We got a sandlot, Bainbridge Island, Washington. Um, I'm, I'm also going to do some stuff with MLB on the uh, May 18th, 19th, and 20th in the Seattle greater area. So uh, I got to, I got to see you, man. It's my first trip I'm there. to Washington. So we will you have tell to me, you tell me what, 
you tell me what time you want me there. How many balls of buckets can I have buckets <laughs> of balls? Sorry. Can I carry for you? Yeah. And, uh, you, you've got, you got me unbridled brother. Oh buddy. Well, well there'll be a, uh, um, what's your teammate from Stanford? You'll have to tell that story at my sandlot. The worm. Jay Patchy, the worm, the worm. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope, I hope wherever he is right now, he just, I hope he just got a little shiver down the back of his neck. And that's a great story. I mean, I was, I was a walk-on, but that's a, that's a walk-on story. That's Rudy. That's Rudy for baseball. You know, the Daniel Nava, the Jay Pesci's, yeah. those, those stories are the guys that just come from so far behind the pack, uh, you know, and yeah. take the lead. You know, oh, well, uh, you'll, you'll have to do that and you'll have to bring a guitar for uh two ton Harry gorilla, buddy. I got to hear that at one of my sand lots in Washington. So count on it. I'll, I'll send you everything, but Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being my co-host today. Chopper had to go uh, hit the field. So uh, you, you uh, as, as expected, uh, you delivered. And uh, the listeners, are they're going to love this one. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm wishing Chopper and his team good luck here in the playoffs. And I'm sorry that I missed him. Uh, and uh, But, yeah, this is, this is the good stuff, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you the man um folks we'll uh we'll we'll see you next week but send this one around this is this this was therapy here uh, on how to deal with the the problem child and how to uh, dissect all the nuances of coaching uh from i mean the guy that taught me everything i know uh literally uh, just by watching him uh tell some stories and engage kids and and love on kids so um uh, what do you got to close us out flick something for the listener uh that that the one thing that uh they all must leave with uh today you got you got anything yeah it's, it's not an original thought i i heard it early in my career i know every i'm sure we've all heard it in some form or another but i'll just say uh that, that your players uh will not care how much you know until they have a felt sense of how much you care and mm -hmm. and that felt sense is going to look different for every single one of them. So welcome to coaching. Yeah. They'll turn, they'll turn their ears on once they know you love them and once they know you right. care uh, for them. So um, we, uh, we always close out uh, the shop with, with a little, uh, with a little bang. So let me hear your best. Uh, let me hear your best bang coach. Bang. That's bang from Washington. All right. See you, folks.